You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. Good morning, everybody. My name is Dusty. I'm one of the pastors here. And this passage passage that you just heard read is probably one of those, um, I've I've taught it several times over the years at Redeemer because it might give um, just a narrative snapshot at the earliest stage in the life of the church. I mean, Jesus has just been crucified and resurrected. He's, you know, kind of star-trekked up to the Father, and then the Spirit has been given to his people. And this is the absolutely earliest stage of, of the life of the church, and it just gives a snapshot of it. And, and because of that, like, we've come back to this passage a lot of some of our aspirations to be a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making dis- disciples. So let me tell you where I'm going so I don't bury the lead on, uh, on the direction of the sermon. So the, the core of what it is I want to talk about is obviously the passage, but um, that I think there's going to be some of us in here that don't value Jesus, you know, what Christ has done with his life, death, and resurrection. So we're going to talk about that first of all. But then the real thing that we're going to be dialing in is I think there's a lot of you in here who actually do value Jesus, but you almost certainly undervalue the together elements of what the New Testament portrays as God's people and how we uh, do life together and worship Jesus together, these togetherness elements, um, especially given the backdrop of our hyper-individualistic culture, all right? So that's where we're going to be going is that we, I think that you almost certainly undervalue it. And if you don't uh, undervalue Jesus' starter. So let me give you a little bit of a, of a cultural location uh, for where we are in our cultural moment right now that we live in an unprecedented amount of hyper-individualism. And it's not like that you've done a lot of thought on this probably. It's, whenever things are cultural values, they're, they're usually not critically assessed. It's that you just have come to them almost every, the air that you breathe helps to shape you, and me too. It's not that any of us stands objectively out looking in and going, aha, well, here, here it all is. But here's just food for thought that almost all of us in here, like if you've been raised in the West, like that means Europe, America, which is pretty much nearly all of you, not, not all, but nearly all of you here, that the, the air that you breathe would lead you to believe that you are an autonomous individual that's landed on your perspectives in life completely on your own. And I'm just going to throw this out as a suggestion. If everyone around you thinks the very same thing, you might not have uh, come up with that completely on your own. That that may well be a culturally formed uh, sense and ideology. You won't find anybody that thought that 500 years ago. Almost no one thought that. And in fact, you like you can you can go back and read. You won't find that. Even even the question sometimes called theodicy about okay, if God's good, why do all these bad things happen? really requires several different hooks to, to hang that thought on um, that just simply didn't exist a few hundred years ago. And I, I'm just making an observation that while you, you may be thinking, look, I'm my own man, I'm my own woman, and I've got my own thoughts on things, that that's a culturally formed idea, and, uh, and that it may not be um, quite as independent as you think, and uh, that our whole perspective of trying to have maximized pleasure from one moment to the next to the next and just stringing as many of them together actually has some real negative side effects. Namely, that if you were to chart, um, you know, sociologists have done like these happiness scales on a, on a culture, that the high watermark in like the modern United States history was in the late 50s, early 60s. And we've been slowly being less happy, more anxious, more depressed, 
more lonely than we've ever been, all while we're trying to maximize our happiness moment to moment as individuals seeking to kind of detach from any kinds of commitments that might weigh us down. We're more lonely, more depressed, more anxious than we've ever been. And, then, and I'm talking like you can see the, the studies that will, will back all this up. Now, I'm not here to yell at you about that. I'm really not. In fact, I think the whole point of the Bible is not to kind of scold you. If you ought to and you should, because you may already be hearing this going, okay, I see where the sermon's going. You're going to be telling me I need to be doing all these other things. Actually not. I, I think that um, there may be a couple of other things that get added, but I think there's just a different perspective on, on how much we need, first of all, Jesus, but then secondly, one another, and that God actually ha- has given us a, a bit of a cure to what ills us with our loneliness and depression and anxiety, and a lot of that cure is going to come with, first of all, what Christ has done, but secondly, that we're going to be formed so much by our life together as Christians, in addition to our individual um, Bible reading and prayer and things like that. So, we tend to misunderstand the importance of this togetherness element, and that's where we're going to be probing into here in Acts 2. So I want to reread verses 37 through 41, because this is going to give us the roadmap for what we're going to do today in this passage is first look how you get in. Like, how do you get into this life together in the church and in this Christian community? And then the second part is going to be just snapshots of life together and what that looks like. So let me start off in verse 37. Peter has preached this sermon that's talking about what Christ had done and kind of putting it in context of the larger story. And so these people heard about Jesus' death and resurrection, and, um, and they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, like, what do we do? Like, you've told us all this stuff about Jesus, and we're, we're sinners, and we're opposed to God, and yet Christ has died for us. Now what do we do? And Peter said, here's what you do. You repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And um, with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourself from this crooked generation, which I think it's kind of funny that Peter said their whole generation's pretty crooked. Probably would say the same to us, even if there's different things that are particularly crooked about ours and theirs. Uh, verse 41 So those who received his word were baptized, and listen to this, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And this is just kind of this thing that's happening out there, probably in open air and temple courts and that kind of thing, but thousands of people coming to Christ, and uh, when these people were cut to the heart as the, the word was being preached, that, um, that the, the answer for what they need to do was repent and then be baptized. Let me unpack both of those briefly. So repentance, I think one way to understand repentance would be it's one side of the coin, whereas faith in Jesus would be the other side of the coin. It's really getting at the same thing. Um, repentance would have a vector to it. It's directional. So um, what, if you're going this way and you're living for yourself, there again is radical, radically individualized Americans. We're, we're living for ourselves. We're going this direction. And then um, whenever this would be all also be our response, quit living for yourself, and now we're going to turn, and this would be the element of faith, as, we, as we've turned directions, repentance, we now believe in and we've put our trust in Christ. The, the chips are to the middle of the table on Christ is not only for the next life, certainly for that, forgiveness comes up in this passage, that you would be acquitted of the wrong things that you've done by God's grace, by believing and putting your trust in Jesus, but even your existential hopes for, for meaning and what is this all, like how do I get through pain and, and what does my life mean and I'm, I'm stringing together like fun after 
after fun after fun, and yet I'm super lonely and depressed, and, and like who am I as a core in my personhood, that even those things, we put our chips to the middle of the table, and we're putting our hope in and our faith in Jesus. So we repent, we believe, and then as a sign of that faith, afterwards we're baptized. And my, my assumption is, is that a lot of us in here just misunderstand the importance of baptism, that throughout the New Testament, while I don't think baptism is necessary for salvation, it's also very clear in the Bible that it would be unthinkable that someone could believe in Jesus, especially as an adult, and not follow in baptism. It's like it almost represents conversion oftentimes whenever you read the New Testament authors. And so it would be something you do one time after you've believed in Jesus that represent your faith in and trust in Jesus. But here's another component of this, is this baptism is a statement of your union with Christ. It's also a statement of your union with God's people, even a particular expression of Jesus's church. Let me explain why this is true. Something we're going to see over the next couple of weeks, a story we'll see even next week is going to be, for the first time, you're going to have a non-Jewish person that's going to believe in Jesus. That's where we're going next week in Acts. And, um, And this is going to be a big deal because up till now, all the people that had followed Jesus were people that were previously followers of the religion of Judaism. That was looking in hope to a Messiah that would come, and then the preaching was really geared towards them and saying, hey, all of that was pointing towards Christ the Messiah. But you're going to have the first non-Jewish person that's going to believe, and this is a big question, going, whoa, can they be involved in God's people? And the answer is absolutely yes. And one of the ways this becomes really clear is that this person's going to believe and uh, is going to be baptized. And that means that not only God would accept them regardless of ethnicity, but that God's people were accepting them. That's what baptism was saying is you're with Jesus and you're with us. So you may not know this, but whenever you're baptized, if you have been baptized, really what you're committing to is I'm with Jesus and I'm with these people here. And I know they're kooky, but nonetheless, this is my, it's my spiritual family and I'm with them. That's what you're saying. You're like, well, nobody told me that. Well, it, it doesn't really change the fact that that is what you're saying when you're baptized. In fact, I would add that our other sacrament or ordinance or whatever term you want to use of the Lord's Supper or communion that we take here on a weekly basis, it's really the same thing. That baptism is something you do that signifies your entrance into the covenant community and you're baptized. And then communion is what you do to say, hey, look, I'm, I'm continuing to trust Jesus and God's grace is enough for me still. But it is a, a statement of union with Christ and communion with other Christians. So baptism and Lord's Supper are both a statement of commitment to Christ and commitment to a particular uh, body of believers. Like this, even how you started the Christian life is saying, I'm not on an island. I am not just an individual. I'm with these other people too. So that's how you get in is you repent, you turn, and you believe in Jesus uh, for both your salvation, but also for your hopes and your sense of identity now. And you take as a sign of that baptism after you have believed. That's how you get in. Once you're in, now let's talk about, um, we're going to look at a few snapshots of life together as a church. And I'd like to read this passage again as well, the second half of the passage, just to anchor us in this text. I think it's such a beautiful, beautiful, um, it's almost like the camera is rolling on this early church. You're going, oh, okay. You have all these different perspectives out there on what the church is. Well, now we're going to see what the Bible says we're called to be together. So verse 42, 
Um, here in Acts 2, I love this. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And the apostles' teaching for us would be here in the Bible, since we don't have any apostles running around. That's not what I am. We're just simply pointing to the authority here in the Bible of what the apostles taught. We have it recorded. Uh, but for them, the apostles were running around and actually teaching. And, and also to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which is probably representing communion, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Verse 44, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. So what I want to do is I want to look at four snapshots that are anchored in this text about what that, uh, what that, past, what that group of Christians looked like in the early days and how these things might help us to maybe reassess the importance of life together as Christians and we're not just individuals. You are individuals, but you're not you're not just individuals on your own spiritual spiritual pilgrimage of self-discovery and discovery of God. You're actually in this thing together. So we're gonna look at four snapshots. Here we go. Number one is what I'm gonna describe as gathered worship, but it goes beyond that. Um, it, it began to influence even their conversations outside of a formal worship service like we're in here. So verses 42 and 43 are the ones that have that. Those are the ones that talked about the apostles' teaching and fellowship and communion and prayers, um, that my guess is, is that you almost certainly underestimate the importance of what we're doing right now. And you're like, well, how can you say I underestimate it if I'm here, you know? Um, I think that how we can tend to think of what we're doing now is, I mean, it's fine. I mean, I'm not sure what that really did. You know, I came and somebody talked forever. Sorry about that. And um, we, you know, we sing some songs. I don't, I don't, that's kind of a weird thing. I don't really go anyplace else that we sing songs except maybe at tech games. And, um, and I, and then, you know, we took communion, but like, what, what does that do? And was that magic or something? Um, and did, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we did these, you know, somebody prayed, we read the Bible, but I, I mean, I, I guess I could, I could listen to a podcast and I, you probably underestimate the importance of this. And I, I think that, we underestimate the, the formative reality of worshiping together as the church. And some of the things that you do, and if you have children that you, you will train your children in, and, and when you're in your last years on earth, that you're going to have young Christians that are going to be doing, uh, doing what you're doing and have been doing for 2,000 years. There's like nothing novel about it. We sing, we, uh, somebody preaches truth from God's word, and we sit under that authority together, and we, we pray together, and we pray through singing together, and we, we take communion and we, we do these things and they form us. They form our values. They form that. And every one of these things that we're doing, you've got a human being, not, um, not a voice on, on media, even though I, I love podcasts and I'm really helped by them um, and, and even other digital forms of things, music and other things that are a great help. You've got a human being looking at you in the eyes and saying, here's what's true about the Bible. Here's why we together need to follow Jesus. You're going to have a human being look at you and say, hey, let's sing this together. You're going to have a human being, if you're a Christian later and we're going to take communion and you're going to tear the bread, which represents Christ's body, and you're going to dip it into the juice, representing Christ's blood that was shed for you. And a human being is going to look at you in the eyes and say, 
this represents Christ's body. And you're going to have the other person say, this represents Christ's blood. And they're going to look at you, and it's going to be as if God is saying those things for you, reminding you that you are safe with him, and you are forgiven, and you are loved. And you're going to see friends as you're passing out uh, from the service, hopefully not passing out, but passing out of this room. And you're going to see each other, and, um, and you're, going to, you're going to say hi, and hey, how'd that go last week? And you're just going to connect with each other, and then it's going to bleed out into our everyday lives. Like, that's what we're going to, we're going to be together. And, um, and the Bible and learning together and as these things leave from here and we're talking about it as we leave this place and we're praying and we're, we're having these conversations. And, and I love hearing how God has transformed us. Um, I, I, one of the things that encourages me the most is when I hear specific stories of how, I mean, I hear them a lot, of how, how God used a song in a service or something that was reminded to them when they were taking communion or when they saw someone else be baptized, something it, it encouraged them with, or something about a sermon that reminded them of this great thing about who Jesus is and about how he loves and accepts them or, or whatever it is that they were encouraged by. I love hearing that about how God's transforming us whenever we gather. Let's move to the next snapshot here. Um, and I'm going to describe that as everyday life together. And we see that in verses 44 and 46. And it says that they, um, all who believed were together and had all these things in common. If you skip down to verse 46, and day by day, they were attending the temple, which we've already talked about. And then they were breaking bread in their homes. That right there is probably even just talking about having meals together. Um, could be communion, but could be, be just hanging out and enjoying each other's company. And they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And I want you to see this, that um, I think a lot of us may think about our church life is you don't primarily belong to a worship service or a preacher. Like primarily, you belong to Jesus and primarily you belong to one another. Like that, that's what Acts 2 is showing us and how po- powerful of a, of a reality this is, is that we're being formed by these teachings and then it isn't just a service that we attend, which is how I think most of us think of church life, is you hear it, uh, Cody talked about this last week, and you hear the sermon and you're like, okay, that was a good sermon, y'all, service y'all pulled off for me and I kind of feel encouraged and kind of chicken soup for the soul and now I'm ready to go back out. Or, and then that, like, that's it, is I hope you are helped, but then we have this common life together where we're having conversations and helping each other I actually want you to hear a story of one of the ways that we're doing this, of making disciples as as just a mechanism that we hope helps, that's reproducible, to have a multiplying impact of of discipleship here called Grow Groups. And in some ways, this is kind of a combination of points one and two here, of gathering together and then our common life together, of this commitment to the apostles' teaching and even sharing life together. So check out some of our Redeemer women that have been doing this together and helping each other follow Jesus. I'm Nancy Baronis. I go to Texas Tech. Um, I'm from Dallas, and I've been in a growth group since this August. My time in the Lord before growth group was very um, on and off. I try to be disciplined about it, but um, since I started my growth group, it's definitely been um, a lot. It was a learning process in the beginning. I thought it was like, okay, we're just going to knock them all out um, in, in one day, but that definitely didn't work out. But I never really like studied. Um, the word was just crazy since I grew up in the church. Um, but I think that being super disciplined and having a group that talks through scripture with me, um, I've learned so much. I think that honestly, I've learned more about the Lord in the past three months than I have in my entire life. But I think it's been awesome to just have accountability and have people around me that love me. Um, and are walking through same scriptures and we're all trying to understanding and we're all trying to apply it to our lives. 
um, and to learn about Him. And so it's been great to just have people to walk through the same seasons um, of our life, even if it looks different for all of us. My name is Tori Cooper. I've been at Redeemer for a little over three years, and I have been leading a grow group since the beginning of last semester with a couple of girls in the college ministry. Um, because I'm a disciple of Jesus, I'm called to make disciples. And by making disciples, I have grown a lot in my understanding of who God is. In the past, when I have discipled girls, it wasn't as structured as the Grow Group curriculum provides. And so now, by leading a Grow Group, I feel like our time is so much more intentional around talking about the Word. It's just been incredibly beneficial to have a curriculum that's simple and clear and everybody can be on the same page about what we're going to meet up and talk about that week. It's been really comforting to know that I don't have to be the wisest believer to be able to respond to His Word and talk about that and share that with other women. It's shown me that I can really depend on Him and to discern from His Word and the Holy Spirit as opposed to relying on my own understanding or my own knowledge. I would just want to encourage anyone who's considering leading a grow group or being a part of one to just do it. Like I said, there's no requirement or stipulation to be a part of one of these groups to engage in God's Word in a more meaningful way. job ladies love that um, so there'll be a lot of different elements some will be you know that, that's our mechanism for doing it here but then sometimes it's just having friends and um, you know being over at, having meals with one another and and knowing what's going on in each other's lives I think it's so powerful and apparently it was a big part of their common life together so number three another snapshot here would be radical generosity in verse 45 you see this where they were selling their possessions and belongings dis distributing the proceeds and that's been one of the most exciting things in the last year. We've put a lot of emphasis. We started Worth It in the fall, and now we're actually doing Worth It. And, you know, there are secondary elements of that, of some specific things we wanted to do together. But one of the most exciting parts for me has been just unlocking the, the beauty of understanding who Jesus is and his generosity towards us and then the response of generosity and how many of you have started that journey now and even things that I've heard from many of you. Uh, this, you want to talk about something that might push back against the radical individualism of our day. I don't know that there's any statement that makes a louder statement of that than saying, you know what? Instead of this money being used for me now, or even deferred money that I'm going to save and invest, not that it's wrong to save and invest, but I still want to plan out on spending it on me later, whether it's me now or me later, there's nothing more powerful that undercuts that reality of a big version of self than saying, I'm going to actually, I'm going to, I'm going to just give this money so that God's kingdom expands and so that needs can be met. Um, I, I don't know that there's a more powerful statement of it. And, and watching so many of you for the first time walk um, there and the things that it's unlocking in your souls is so exciting to me. Maybe the most important thing um, that we are doing together right now. Uh, number four, final snapshot, would be what I'm going to describe as a missional passion. And that's in verse 47. That in some ways um, was real similar to verse 41 where uh, tons of people were coming to Christ. It says, praising God, having favor with all the people. That's this, this community uh, that was being formed. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And you have to ask the question, like, 
how? Like, how was God adding to their number day by day? And really, there'd be a couple of ways. It probably wasn't somebody just walking up and going, well, what's going on here? You know, maybe. I mean, maybe that happened a little bit. But it was probably Christians just like you. I mean, and, and don't, don't start with me about, well, I don't know enough Bible. How long have these been people been Christians exactly? Like 15 minutes? I mean, isn't that about what's going on here? Uh, and I'm mean, like, they were super new in all this. But what they would do is say, hey, would you come here? There's a guy teaching today on this, and it's going to blow your mind. Like, this whole thing is, has changed who I am, and like at a, at a core level. Or they were over some um, place called Hebrews Coffee or something like that. They were, they were sitting down with somebody and going, uh, I've actually seen a few of those. And they, they would sit down with someone and say, hey, uh, can I just tell you something that's having a giant, I don't have all the answers for it all, but it's a huge impact on me. And that was part of what they were doing, is they were inviting the friends that were already right around them to say, hey, come check out what I'm learning and check out what I'm experiencing because it's changing me to a core. And they're inviting people in on this and God was saving lots of people around them. And I, mean, I love watching this from you. I, uh, the other day, a friend of mine here was telling me that he was um, one of part of our disciple-making teams and they were, uh, they were just talking, to, having spiritual conversations with people at just a, like a Walmart or a grocery store. And he was talking to um, an international student. And, and while he was there, uh, there's, this guy more or less said, man, like, I've always wanted to kind of learn about what this whole Christianity thing was about. And so the guy I know said, well, do you want to just start um, reading the Bible together? Would you, like to, would you like just to discover with me? I'm honestly, ready for this, grow groups are great training for this missional component. Because it's really the same thing. Would you like to read with me in the Bible and we'll discover together who God says that he is in here? And that's what they're doing together. And how cool is that? And then I know several of you, um, in fact, some of you are here today because a, a Christian friend of yours that you work with or that you know or you're in a sorority with or whatever, you live in the same neighborhood and they said, man, you need to come. I'd love for you to come to the church with me and, uh, and hear, from the, uh, you know, hear from the Bible and sing together. And like you're here because someone, and we've had people that have come to Christ because you've been sharing with your friends the, the hope that you have in Jesus. And you've said, hey, come, why don't you come look and see with me on this? And so um, I love to hear stories like this. Now, let me pull all this together. That um, earlier I mentioned that in our cultural moment, you are going to be predisposed to, first of all, not trust in Jesus. And so there, there's that whole thing, and I hope that you will. And then secondly, even if you do trust in Jesus, because of how hyper-individualized we are, you're going to underestimate. You're going to tend to think that even if you're coming to church, which lots of you are going to say, I don't feel like I need all that, um, and whereas, but God says you do. And, but then you're, on top of that, you're going to be really tempted um, to feel like, well, I don't know, it just doesn't seem like it's doing a lot, and I, I'm fine on my own. And, and what the Bible is telling us today is that, hey, look, how, how things are going for you, um, I'm just asking the question, like, are you lonely? And are you, are you happy? Are you anxious? Are you depressed? And I'm not saying having Christian friends fixes all of those things and doing these things together, but I'll tell you this, it helps a lot. And I've learned that there's so many other um, expressions of community I've had. I've had it in high school. I had it in college where I had these all-important communities, but it's almost like they evaporated as soon as I left. Like I've got maybe a couple of friends from high school, a handful of friends from college that I keep up with that we talk from, and even other people in my adult life, for instance, like in uh, club baseball world that I've, I've coached over the years. I've even used the language of family in that before, and it is till it isn't. 
It is till it isn't. And your, your family until, um, you know, one of the kids or families isn't happy there anymore or you're not happy there anymore or until the team kind of gives out and you go in different directions and you play for your high school teams and then you don't see each other anymore or you're, you graduate from college and then you don't see each other anymore. Is there something else that's enduring here now in Jesus's church of a commitment um, to Jesus and to one another that, that goes beyond life stage and goes beyond affinity if I like you and if you like me, uh, but goes into something else to really help Help one another follow Jesus and do something about the loneliness that we're experiencing and do something about the isolation um, in this life together as the church. And I want so badly, this is not a lecture for you about you better and you better, but instead what a beautiful expression of grace. And, and finally, I would just say, I've heard some people make this case before that they've used the just on this missional piece, they've said that Christian community could be described as the final apologetic in a lot of ways. Uh, the, the strongest defense we have for the reality of Christ crucified and resurrected because um, th- there are a lot of people out there that aren't really all that impressed with the cosmological argument or whatever. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have arguments for believing in God. Um, I think that they're sometimes very helpful. But um, mostly people are real lonely and are looking for a sense of meaning and, and why, why they should live and, and what's worth pursuing. And there is nothing like it in Christians that love one another because of Jesus. And you see a snapshot here of that. And I want so badly for us to experience the joy and liberation of following Jesus and not just on our own, however beautiful that is, but even together, loving and accepting one another, growing together in grace, making a difference for Jesus together. What an awesome thing. It's my deepest hope for this church. Let's stand and I'm going to pray these things uh, hopefully into... um, into more of our experience. So, um, Lord, would you um, give us the grace to follow you together as a people and that you would make us into this kind of family together, formed by your grace, um, that there'd be many that would start a relationship with you and that the rest of us would maybe for the first time uh, be engaged with um, your your people uh, today and, and more deeply even with you. In Jesus' name, amen.